Hey everyone, you're listening to Hotel Vicarious, a podcast hosted by two friends who just love to talk about TV shows and movies. This week, we're talking about Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Daria. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I survived Halloween. Yes. How was it? Uh, it was good. It was good. Um, it didn't rain. It didn't snow, which is a plus for here <laughs> uh, in this part of Canada. And uh, it was actually it was really, really windy, like insanely windy. Um, but it was still kind of warm and we did all the houses on our street and then we got like up the second street and she was like, no, nah, I'm done. <laughs> oh, girl after my own heart. I'm like, okay, 10 houses. Good. Let's go back. But she honestly got so much candy. Like I was, people were generous this year. She was getting like baggies. Wow. With like five chocolate bars and a bag of chips. Like it was it was nuts she dumped all of her candy and everything on the floor and i was just like what (laughs) yeah we didn't get nearly as many kids as i thought and a lot of them were like teeny tiny babies Mm -hmm. we had an adorable avocado come to the house (laughs) oh my god so cute but it was like we couldn't just hand out big handfuls to like a a Mm -hmm, one-year-old um so i we got like a few they weren't like quite teenagers but they weren't they were like tweens yeah my husband just sort of gave them a giant handful he was like just take just take please because we have already been eating this candy for like three weeks we do not need it anymore right get it out of our uh our lives Mm -hmm. please yeah Um, (laughs) take away the temptation but we still have so much left and i don't know what to do with it all i really don't yeah we have there's a lot in our house and there's a lot of chips, like a lot of bags of chips. But we just have this like parental candy tax where we just <laughs> take off the top and she never notices. So, yeah. But that only lasts so long. Then you're like, oh, God, I can't eat another Kit Kat. <laughs> no. I know. And and like the stuff that we got was okay. I mean, I don't know if we were very discerning when we were picking out our bags I don't think we thought about like, oh, this is going to be living on our counter for right. like another month. So I should have been right. a little bit more choosy. But it's like a <laughs> ton of like basic M&Ms mm. and like plain Skittles. I'm like, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. I, but it's not like the good stuff. You should stuff. make cookies with the M&Ms. Oh, that's a good idea. Just dump them all in chocolate chips instead of chocolate that chips. That is a good idea. Jenny, you're so smart. I try. I make no guarantees that by the end of this podcast, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens when I hit the four-hour mark. Uh, <laughs> are you excited to talk about this crazy, bonkers show? I I have so many thoughts. I mean, which I've already sort of, like, aggressively shared with you earlier today. Fun fact Jenny has watched the entire season, um, you know, when it came out, like a normal person, and I was like, I'm just going to wait until we cover it for the podcast. Which is so funny because you told me to watch it, 
you were like, we should watch it. And I was like, it's too scary. I'm a baby. And you were like, just watch one episode. And I was like, it's too scary. I'm a baby. And then finally my husband convinced me that we should just try it. I was like, okay, fine. And then we watched it and like we could not stop watching it. And we had to watch every single episode. And I think we were finished in like two and a half days, three days. And it took me like a month. <laughs> it's not like a long series. It's only no. seven episodes. So, but each episode is a good hour. So, oh, yeah. And it's, it's like, dense. I mean, especially if you don't have any background in Catholicism, you're probably thinking, like... Yeah, I think <laughs> probably for, like, me and you, it was easier to digest than, like... So, my husband, every time something would happen, he would be like, what? That's crazy. And I was like, baby, that's Sunday. That's not... This is not written for the movie. I was like, this is how it works. <laughs> so there was a lot of that and he was just like he kept like just being surprised by the things that would happen i'd be like no 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 that's normal that's ordinary time okay <laughs> that's ordinary time <laughs> oh my god bev you demon woman i know she is crazy <sighs> so i have only watched episodes one through four because this is part one we're gonna cover the first half and then next week we're gonna do five six and seven so i'm holding off until we record next week's episode. So Jenny knows way more than I do. And it's going to be very interesting as we discuss to see if I'm like on the money or not. <laughs> and that's why I evilly decided to stop part one at episode four. <laughs> yeah, bitch, you're in trouble. <laughs> I, I was feel like, oh, yeah, that is the perfect place to stop at the end of episode four. So do you want to tell, do you want to give our little updated summary? Yes. Okay, so for those of you who are watching who maybe haven't seen it or it's been a while and you need a little refresher, Midnight Mass is by horror king Mike Flanagan, and it's about an isolated island community that experiences miraculous events and some frightening omens after the arrival of a charismatic, mysterious young priest. So much happens on this island. So much Let's talk about Crockett Island, or as the um, townspeople refer to it, Crockpot, which I think Crock is pot. I know. hilarious. Yeah, it's a, it makes a lot of sense uh, <laughs> when you start to get to know these characters. Where, do we know where it is? No, I keep thinking maybe the Pacific Northwest or something, or maybe yeah. the... Um, like, like Cape the Cod, Northeast. Like, yeah. yeah, like Maine. Like, yeah, it's very unclear where it takes place. At least to us. Uh, you know what, though? I do feel like it's got to be somewhere, like, kind of close to the Canadian border. Like, that why? kind of, like, I just get, like, Twilight vibes from the island. And so I think mm -hmm, about, like... Mm -hmm. Forks. Yes! I, that's Okay. I, that that's could be I'm true. Thinking. Yeah, that could be it. For some reason, I feel like Boston was mentioned, but then I think that might just be in my brain. No, it's actually... It's a possibility. I mean, I feel like there's so many islands off of Cape Cod that, like, you don't know. Yeah. There could be a tiny little crock pot hanging out there in the Atlantic Ocean. It's like crock pot, Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The uppers. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Crockett Island is <sighs> a super tiny little place. I mean, what, like, the population has to be just a couple hundred people, if that. Yeah, I think it even says on the sign, like, population, like, 124 or something. Like, it's, like, really, yeah. Imagine dating. <laughs> Only cousins. It, it's been, 
it's been through some shit. Jenny, I'm just going to power through that one. <laughs> okay. Whew. It was the site of a pretty gnarly oil spill, which, like, obviously really harmed the population of humans and, I think, sea life. And the majority of the folks who live on Crockett are fishermen. Right. So that really kind of fucked with their bottom line. And they won a settlement from the oil company. But our favorite resident oh, yes. asshole, Bev, <laughs> yeah. who is one of the like head honchos on the island, um, who works for St. Patrick's Church. And is also a teacher. I know. Shaping the minds of Crockett Island. <laughs> Don't love anyway, it. Do not continue. love it. She basically can convinces the townspeople to give some of their settlement money to the church as like a tenth or a tithe, however you want to pronounce it. I've, yeah. I've heard it both ways. And they build this big, huge recreation center in honor of their priest, uh, Monsignor Pruitt. Yes. Um, even though, what do you need a giant rec center for on an island with 125 people? Go figure. But it's like an interesting little place. And it's got some, like, quirky characters. Yeah, for sure. We mentioned Bev, who is, I mean, she's not like a nun, but she's an, some sort of devout religious she's, person. She's just, yeah, she is a very devout Catholic who lives on this island, has probably grown up on this island, and grown up in the church. And this is, obviously, she believes to be her calling in life. Yes. And then there's Sheriff Sharif, who is one of two Muslims on the entire island. This poor man, surrounded by very devout Catholics. <laughs> Him and his son live on the island. And what we've seen so far, I mean, especially in episode one, you, you meet like a very lovely man. <laughs> he seems to be just like kind of exhausted already by his job but like yeah he's just trying nice. to like yeah get it done <laughs> yeah um and yeah just you can tell he obviously there's a reason he's there but we don't really know why um and yeah it's obviously i would imagine not like his first choice <laughs> can't imagine it's anyone's um, first choice yeah <laughs> so it's interesting and in the first episode, we also meet Joe, who is sort of the island drunk. Yeah. With a little bit of a nefarious past. Some of the other major players on the island are the mayor, his yes. wife, yeah. and Lisa, their daughter, who's yes. in a wheelchair. Yeah. And we meet... Oh, yeah. I was going to say the Flynns, right? Is it Flynn or Quinn? The Flynns. The Flynn family. We meet the Flynn family. Yes. Who are uh, very, like, nuclear family, but yeah. they have a son, Riley, and the show opens up on him, basically, um, ruining his life, and we kind of see how his actions have affected them yeah. and what they're going through as he plans to come back home. Yeah, and how that's affected his little brother and kind of how they treat his little brother, too, right? Yeah. There's lots of really interesting family dynamics that we see in the first two episodes. There is, you know, Riley and his family. There's Erin, yes. who grew up with a single mom on the island who was a abusive alcoholic. But she decides to come back and move into her old childhood home. And 
take yeah. up her mom's old job and yeah, sort of after like her mom passed away so it's it's an interesting sort of she left the island got into a relationship that went really bad and then came back to the island yeah and it's like mm, okay <sighs> cool 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 she is pregnant and through Aaron, we also meet the doctor of the island the like literal only doctor on the island who does everything yeah Sarah, who lives with her mom, who is, like, clearly on the verge of dementia. Yeah, very elderly um, and not very mobile. And throughout the entire first episode, we also see Bev sort of searching for Monsignor Pruitt, who was off on some mission trip to Jerusalem and, like, didn't come back. And in his place, we get the young father paul (sighs) i think that sort of covers the like major players yeah no i think that's pretty much everyone there's i mean there's there's people here and there that come in and out um as sort of like these little side characters bev has a bunch of people who kind of like do her bidding (laughs) throughout oh bev but yeah for the most part i think those are that's sort of the main cast and the people who are like mostly affected um throughout this series yeah so it's 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 interesting. I think, you know, the concept of, you know, someone like Riley who has clearly been through a lot, who's put himself kind of in that position. I think the story of just someone coming home from prison after a very traumatic accident is like story enough. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) But then to like layer it on to this like, strangely isolated place with all of this religious dogma with this like charismatic priest who's like everyone's friend immediately right it definitely adds like a very complicated layer to yeah. everything yeah exactly and it is wild like so much happens yes but, like, aside from, like, one very specific thing, it is not an unbelievable story. <laughs> I love the way you're phrasing this. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. It's really not. It's nothing, like, super crazy happens. Like, it's not like there's wild, fantastical things that are happening the whole time. Like, yes, there are a couple of wild, fantastical things. That's what makes it a horror movie. But, yeah. like... It could easily have just been a horror movie without that one single thing. I think we can call it what it is. <laughs> right? I think we can call out the vampire blood. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, like, without the vampire, like, it would still be horrifying to me. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, yeah. coming from a place of just too reformed. Sorry. Yeah. Too former Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> It is yes. sort of a, a a nightmare in and of itself to be trapped on a small island with only Christians. It's a lot. It is a lot. <sighs> God, but you know what? It's done so well because you're right. Oh, so well. Like for a second, until you really understand the reality of who Father Paul is, you're like, holy shit, he just performed a miracle right. on Lisa to get right. her to walk again. And you're like, huh, what's I going mean- on here? from the very beginning i was like "Mm, there's something going on (laughs) i was like sure there is something in that wine for 
Sure. One of the first things I remember messaging you about was the old age makeup. I know. And I was trying to like not give it away and be like, oh, it's just not so good on some people. (laughs) Yeah, I was really struggling with it because I just kept thinking, God, everyone looks so fake. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously, the more they ingest the vampire angel demon blood, right. the younger and more attractive they get. Right, exactly. Which is fascinating. I I mean, like now that we're at the crux of like everything that's happened in episode four, I'm so curious when people on the island are going to sort of like understand what's happening. Like <laughs> they haven't noticed yet that like – the wrinkles are smoothing, um, that people who were formerly sick are no longer sick. Like, I don't need my glasses anymore. Uh, yeah, it's like it's... Yeah, so they, I mean, they've they've mentioned those things, right? But they haven't connected the dots, is that what you're saying? Or Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Because I wasn't exactly sure where you are, but like, um, the dad, the like, Riley's dad's back stops hurting. Okay, you, right. saw, you saw that part, right? Okay. Yeah. And then his mom doesn't need glasses. Okay. I just was making sure you had seen that. So, yeah, they, they kind of are seeing, like, all these things. But I think they're all just, like, believing that they're just, like, special and that this church is special and Father Paul is special and, like, this whole congregation is, like, being blessed in different ways. But they're not, like, wrong in the sense that, like, the, there is something special. Like Sure. Yeah, yeah. Monsignor Pruitt wandered into this cave and gets eaten by this vampire. Right. Which I think it's kind of brilliant that they never, like, refer to it as a vampire. Yes. Like, he's so, even, like, he just truly believes that it's an angel. He just, like, there is no other option in his mind yeah. there's no other explanation that this must be an angel he's like oh you have wings <laughs> hello gabriel what's up <laughs> I... oh yeah yeah it's it's kind of a master class in like building tension and i think that's one of the things i love about mike flanagan so much is like you know i'm watching these episodes and, and like little bits and pieces start to become more and more clear and i'm like waiting for the characters on the show to kind of pick up on it yeah i love that because you know what's going on but like you're you're waiting for them to figure it out and it's yeah it's it's a it keeps you engaged yeah and it's not the kind of show that throws you these kind of twists and turns that don't make any sense like when you get to the discovery that father paul is a just younger monsignor pruitt you're like yeah oh duh like that makes a lot of sense we know yeah uh yeah no for sure but i like that in a way like it's very um satisfying yes to watch and to like to almost be in on the joke yes exactly and i think it's it's a definitely a lesson in good mystery building because you want your audience to be able to figure it out too that's the fun of it yeah you don't want them to feel like it's an impossible thing to understand yeah, and you you want your audience to figure it out long before your characters do. And yes. Mike Flanagan does that really well. He does. He does. I think, you know, at the same time, he also suffers from, like, playwright syndrome in that he gives a lot of his characters really meaty monologues that yes. can be, like, kind of hard in a TV sense. Yeah, I agree. 
sometimes it definitely does feel like you're watching uh, like a filmed theater production in some ways but like being like a nerdy theater kid from a very early age like that spoke to me on a deep level so I really enjoyed um Zach Guilford's very extended monologue um of what happens after you die oh listen I (sighs) could watch Zach Guilford read the non-existent telephone book I mean I have long loved that man since Friday Night Lights I mean yes he plays wounded and troubled so well he really does you just want to hug him and hold him close and be like it's okay everything's fine right matt saracen my love right exactly no and so like that's kind of why like yes there are some parts that just like are so long um but i just like actually it was one of my favorite parts because and i saw everyone saying like that was the thing that they didn't like was that these long ass monologues but like i don't know i just loved it I mean, I think this is where you and I diverge. I didn't hate them all. Yeah. I think if we cut them in half, yeah, I no, would yeah, have been sure. cool with it. Yeah, no, no. They <laughs> were definitely long. Um, And some of like, the churchier ones, I'm like, I don't need to sit through a homily, yeah. even if you look like Hamish Linklater. Sorry. Though I will say, I think to the sort of like long-winded approach that he takes to some of the um, – monologues does work for quite a few characters i mean bev in particular that character actually grows i think um you you want to just hate her so much more because she is so long-winded and she just keeps talking the um the school classroom scene where they're talking about giving the bibles out i mean she doesn't let anyone get in a a word like not even nothing and they all just let it happen. It's, like, kind of amazing oh, to watch her steamroll everybody. Though I will say I really love Sharif's speech. Yes! When he is talking about being Muslim and the Bible and the interpretation of the Bible by Muslims. And it's just, like, oh, there's just, like, this amazing sort of vindication to watch this scene happen. Even if it's fiction. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think... You know, um, Raul Coley is a tremendously talented actor. The, like, little nuanced expressions that he makes without even saying a word. I mean, he sells that character so, 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 so well. Mm -hmm. Like, this – because he was also in The uh, Haunting of Bly Manor. I know that Flanagan loves casting kind of the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. Please cast Raul Coley in every single thing you do because he's so good. He is I, so good. I can't. I love him so much. I love every scene he's in. Yeah, he was great. I really, really enjoyed uh, him in this series. What a hot sheriff, damn. I know. He, like, looks amazing in a jean jacket also. For real. <laughs> Who looks that good in a jean jacket? No one. Unfair. I, I, I mean, okay. I'm really excited and I'm very nervous. And if they kill off Zach Guilford, I am going to have a meltdown. I love him so much and I don't want him to die. Yeah, I mean, 
it's yeah i agree with that statement shut up yeah Uh, (laughs) no i yeah he's not just like totally gone so you'll still get to see him after episode four but yeah i the first two episodes i found the hardest to watch because there was not a lot of supernatural Mm. There was not a lot of horror. There was, it was just like, oh, yes, this still exists. And so that I found like a little bit hard and I was just like, I don't know about this show. Like, I really don't, you know, and we see, you know, there's like the whole thing where the cat's on the beach, the cats show up on all these dead cats on the beach and then Bev's going around just, like, lacing the whole island with rat poison. Yeah. I think you and I are in agreement that the animal deaths in this show were just, like, a step too far, I think, really. Does the dog die indeed? Like, in such a gruesome... So gross. It didn't need that. No. I didn't need that. It it was was too much. And it's also... um, God. I mean, I think... One of my favorite arcs so far in the first four episodes was Lisa and Joe. Mm-hmm. And getting yes. to know the characters separately and then getting to see them interact together. I mean, I think Joe very clearly holds himself accountable for what he yeah. did. Yeah. And it's affected his entire life. Yeah. And absolutely. Pike was his like one relief, I think. Yeah. And so to watch. Like soulless. Yeah. To watch him cry over his dog. God, I was like, that was heartbreaking. I, I mean, he, it's an incredible performance. And I think getting to then see the confrontation between Lisa and Joe in his trailer was also probably one of the best moments in the first yeah, half. I agree. Yeah. For sure. I mean, give that kid an Emmy because she. Oh, she was so good. Killed that scene. Yeah, that was one of the monologues where I was like, damn, girl. Yeah. That's, to me, that's where they have their place and sort of those big mm-hmm. kind of emotional moments. What what were your favorite, like, what the fuck moments from the first four episodes? Oh, my God. I mean, when she starts walking, like, when Lisa starts walking in the church and, like, he's, like, beckoning her, like, taunting her with, like, the Eucharist or whatever, I was just like... I was like, are they doing this? And then when she stood up, I was like, damn, it's vampire blood. Like, I just knew. I was like, that's how he's getting them. Like, up until that, I was like, not sure. I was really not sure. And then she stood up and I was like, oh, yeah, that girl, there's something magical going on. And that's the only thing I can think of. Like, right off the top of my head, I was like, oh, it's something in the wine. Like, it has to be blood somehow. Yeah. And I think it was that same episode where you see him emptying his flask into the wine carafe i think it is that one or the war episode four yeah it's three or four and yeah he does do that because the vampire has disappeared on him and so he's like kind of running low (laughs) yeah supply and demand is high (laughs) on crocker island yeah i think that's the one thing i'm still sort of like feeling out is the mythology of the creature and how it functions because i'm I don't quite, like, he was very much capable of going out into the sunshine, and then suddenly he can't anymore. 
So I think what happened with that, and that was the other one of my other things, what the fuck moments, was when he fucking croaks on the floor and just like dies. And the guy from like the mayor and Bev and Sturge are all just like, he just killed someone and then he croaked. And it's just like, what the fuck? And I think that is when he starts to develop the vampire symptoms, but I don't exactly know why. Yeah, it's like really what, curious what does it, to me. Yeah, and it's hard for me to explain this to you without talking about the rest of the show, but we'll mm. get to it later on. So I just want to say it here. It's hard to understand why Father Paul could go out in the sunlight before he dies, that technically second time. Yeah. Because he dies the first time in... Or does he? And that's my thing. Is like, maybe he doesn't die in that cave. Maybe, like, do you know what I mean? Like, the vampire bites him, but then he immediately feeds him, right? So maybe that's the difference, is that he didn't actually die the first time. He just had the vampire blood in him, which is, like, would make sense now that I'm saying this, because that's why all the people who are going to church, who are drinking this wine, they're fine being outside because the blood is in them, but they haven't died and come back as a vampire. I just answered my own question. <laughs> Beautiful watching you figure it out in I'm real time. Because so that was sort of my question, too. I was like, is he dead yet? No? Yeah, and so I think we kind of see that once he does die um, and he's, like, reborn, he is starting to have, like, these vampire sort of qualities. So that's kind of what's happened, I believe, is that he's died. And because he had the the stuff in him, he didn't actually die. He's now been, like, reborn a vampire, an angel, or whatever you want to call him. A big problem. <laughs> <laughs> a big problem. <laughs> uh <laughs> So what about you? Was there any other, I I mean, there was more, but I want to give you a chance, like some other, like what the fuck moments. I think my biggest what the fuck moment, um, outside of the ones that we just talked about, was during the storm when Riley sees who he thinks is Monsignor Pruitt on the beach. Right. And obviously we know that it was probably the vampire. Yeah. And my, I'm, I'm wondering... Why he like skedaddled <laughs> when Riley saw him the first time? Because he's running, like he's running away from Riley on the beach, and Riley's running after him. Yeah, and I, I don't quite know why he did that. Like, what was like? He's clearly a very powerful, dangerous being. He could have just flown away. Like, I don't. Maybe he was trying not to get. Like, he didn't want to fly away because then this kid would like see that he'd flown away maybe um it's like such a confusing scene for me because obviously that's also the night that he like drained a hundred cats so like the hell was that i think that was the moment where i was like what the fuck is going on here oh i just had a thought what if he was running away because he couldn't fly because he hadn't feast he hadn't eaten so because the cats end up after he runs away from riley oh maybe so maybe he was like because remember, you know, how Father Paul gets when he hasn't fed off of the vampire for all, he kind of starts to not look great. No, <laughs> like, I know. Really kind of, ooh. He gets all twitchy and gross. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm not sure. I think, yeah, that's a good, that's a good theory. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think outside of the <laughs> sporadic dying. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, yes. Wait, what are you going to say? No, you go ahead. A- Aaron losing the baby. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Uh, Aaron's <laughs> baby just disappearing into the ether. I am. I. What a like fucked up thing because if the vampire blood is making people younger and healing them. Right, right. And you think about how pregnant women's immune systems weaken. Right. Was the blood strengthening the immune system to the point that it like total? I mean, but she never experienced any miscarriage symptoms either. So it's. It's like what did yeah, it, so what it happened? It gets explained in episode five very specifically Fudge. by Father Pruitt. Um or by Paul, whatever Paul Pruitt, whatever his name is. So yeah, he he explains sort of how it works and why it does what it does. But you're right, that does not make sense um until you find out in episode five. So let's count all of the people who haven't taken the communion wine there's the sheriff and his son and riley yeah and and for a period joe collie because he wasn't going to church no he wasn't nope so we had four and now unfortunately we have three and so i'm really curious to see right and then we get so you know um and bev is just like Okay, well, like, how does she know how to get rid of a body so well? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, wow, she is extremely good at this. She doesn't even blink an eye. She doesn't even have time to plan. And she's like, okay, this is exactly what you're going to do. And this is great. And, like, let's just get rid of it because he's our miracle man. And, like, that's that's the end of it. Yeah, this is the second coming and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so then they – she's got them doing that. And then Riley and Father Paul have a conversation about Joe – and Father Paul lies to Riley. That's right, yes. right? Yeah, about he lies Joe. about Joe's sister. Right, but he doesn't know that Joe had talked to Riley the night before. And so Riley's just like, what the fuck? He's lying. Why is he lying? And then we get that final scene of season four. Or of s- episode four. Yeah, I, I like... Okay, so one of the really funny things, and it's not funny, but it's funny about this show is that things happen with like the doors wide open and Mm -hmm. when father paul slash monsignor pruitt is in the rec center and he's like having his moment and vampire daddy shows up in his trench coat and like rips open his wrist to like Mm -hmm. refill the carafe i mean the door is just the door's just open like what did you think was gonna happen yeah like or crazy when he's <laughs> Father Paul is in the rectory and he's downing the last of the vampire blood again, door oh, yeah. wide open as Joe mm-hmm. Colley walks in. So I'm just mm-hmm. thinking, like, dude, close the yeah, door. He kind of just like gets like too loosey goosey. Yeah, yeah, kind of sloppy. Like he or he, like almost um prideful or like not not even like just like kind of feels like he's above it like you know because he's like an angel now or something and it's also like 
the night of the AA meeting and mm-hmm. Joe's not there anymore and mm-hmm. Riley's about to go inside the rec center and Father Paul is just like hanging out in the front porch, like staring at him. It was so weird. It's just, it's almost like the blood of the vampire is kind of doing its own thing inside Father Paul's body and he doesn't always have control over his own actions. Yeah, it kind of does seem like that a little bit. Um, So it's very interesting and I am sort of dying to know now what's going to happen to poor Riley because like, (sighs) he was doing so well. I know. Let's play a game. Okay. I have some theories. Yeah. And you can, I mean, obviously you're not going to tell me if I'm right, but you can at least like respond, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it's like a a lame game, but let's play it anyway. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. So my initial theory about Father Paul being Monsignor Pruitt, done. That one's been clarified. Okay. Yeah. My other theory about Father Paul is that he is actually Sarah's father. Mm, Okay. Um, because she mentions that throughout her entire childhood, Monsignor Pruitt kept staring at her and she makes the joke that it's because she's a lesbian. But my thinking is that because of how attentive he is to her mother, I think that there was a relationship there and that he is actually her father because, I don't know, that's just how I feel. So that's my one theory. My other theory is that the sheriff and his son are going to be, like, the only survivors of whatever's happening on the island. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Do you have any theories about Riley? My only theory is that he survives and gets a happy ending, even though I really shouldn't be rooting for him all that much because he did literally kill someone in a drunk driving accident. But, like, I just have so much sympathy for him. I understand. (laughs) My my thought is, is if he doesn't die in that attack, he's going to need – vampire blood to survive and so you know like i i (laughs) I don't love it i don't love it but i think obviously he's gonna become a vampire too yeah i remember finishing episode four and being like fuck this you got me to watch this show because matt saracen from friday night lights is on it and like that's the only reason i want to watch it and now what you're gonna kill him but i kept going and it was worth it (laughs) I promise you it's worth it. If you like Matt Saracen, it's worth it. My really, really big outlandish theory is the absolute opposite of my sheriff and son being the only survivors. Okay. And that the entire island becomes vampires. Mm. And it just becomes a little vampire island. Mm. And they figure out ways to get humans to the island so they can eat them. Ooh, interesting. I like that theory. (laughs) I like that theory. I am excited to recap this, the rest of it. And I know. See. I'm probably going to log off later and just watch all three episodes and aggressively yeah. chat you about them. Perfect. Like I, I can't wait. Like Honestly, listening to your reactions to Bev Keen um, instead of actually watching her, it might be better. And it's just like the word Bev like 500 times with like multiple exclamation marks because she's so terrible. <sighs> There are some really good, really good um, just thought process. I mean, it's just like the things that go through your head while you're watching this show. I mean, it's like <laughs> uh, it's like when Bev walks in 
and Joe's body is just laying there. And mm-hmm. Father Paul is like <laughs> comatose, Drenched. like blood hung yeah. over in the corner. And she just goes, Right. Okay. Okay. Like, gosh darn it, we got this. Like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. She's like, All right, like, let's just, let's get you cleaned up and showered, and you can give your homily, and everything will be fine. And Father Paul just sort of like puts his hand out in the sun, and he's like, Here's the thing. And his skin just starts to burn to a crisp. Like, there's yeah. just so many funny little moments. Like, yeah. very much light in the mood a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they do. That, it's, and that's kind of what makes it so enjoyable is that it gets not – it's not total tragedy and, like, horror the entire time, which makes it even more off-putting when it is, like, when there are these little funny moments and then something totally – fucking wild happens and you're just like what no i was laughing (laughs) it is unsettling is a very good word for it because yeah it's also like if father paul wasn't turning into a vampire he seems like he'd just be like your average sort of like dorky priest like he's just very socially like clunky right you know and so it's like his delivery is so funny and it's like the entire series is him battling with a vampire part of himself to like still be like the you know hey riley i'm really proud of you like you know i want to drain your entire aorta but i'm so proud of you (laughs) like the scene where where joe is trying to leave the rectory and (laughs) father paul goes to give him a hug and then just doesn't let go i know and it I lasts know. for so long. And Joe's like, what the fuck? Get off me. Yeah, exactly. Like, ugh, gotta go. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it has a lot of heart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's very enjoyable. It's, like, just shy of being deranged, I think. Yeah, I agree. You know? And that speaks to me on a pretty deep level. <laughs> Yeah, oh no, for sure. And I think, you know, I, I think Mike Flanagan has done a, a seriously excellent job of saying so much um, without actually saying it. Um, just sort of the, like, the, I don't know, toxic faith uh-huh. of believing something so deeply that... <laughs> It just, like, kind of trumps your entire moral code. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. So it's it's a very interesting sort of... And it's not something that's, like, super widely done or even talked about, like, in that kind of way. So I just thought it's it was a, it was a really interesting take on it, on this sort yeah. of, like, super um, devout um, Catholic um, Yeah, I mean, community. I think... I think Bev is a perfect example, right? Because she basically prides herself on being this God-fearing, you know, almost perfect Catholic. And yet, when, like, real serious shit falls into her lap, she totally brushes it off in favor of, you know, oh, God has a larger plan for us and you are his miracle worker and and there's no big deal there's a dead body in front of me who cares about that commandment god's plan god's plan a big deal exactly so uh, yeah i think 
I think the critique on on Catholicism and Christianity is really strong and really smart. And I mean, I love it. So I'm super excited to finish because <sighs> I got to know what happens to Matt Saracen. Can't wait to talk about it next week. I'm so excited. <sighs> well, I think that's a good spot to stop. Yeah. What do you think? I think we've covered pretty much sort of everything that happens. Um, we're waiting for the rest of the island to sort of catch up on what we as the audience knows that um, Father Paul has been basically dosing them with vampire blood for the last <laughs> several weeks. Yup. And, um, and just to sort of see like what his sort of like end game is right for this island yeah like what is he think is gonna like happen (laughs) you know like what yeah what is his plan like what does he why did he bring this vampire angel back like what's the goal you know so and, and sort of like what's the fallout um we're starting to see it with joe with and aaron and aaron and so you're we're starting to see the fallout of some of this stuff and so it'll be interesting to see sort of how they, how they, like, you see that sort of happen over time. And the last three episodes are incredibly packed. Like, they are, they're an hour, but they feel like two, basically. I'm so excited. Because so much happens. So, yeah. <sighs> well, I look forward to reconvening next week as we discuss the remaining three episodes of yes. Midnight Mass. Yes very excited so um daria is there anything that you just can't stop thinking about this week what can i just not stop thinking about well i'll tell you halloween was this weekend Mm -hmm. and with that came a lot of family halloween costumes and like i don't know about you but when i was a kid first of all my brother and i would never have agreed on a family costume and my mom's like go-to was just a pointy black witch hat And my dad usually stayed home to, like, man the door. Right. So seeing family costumes to me now is, like, (laughs) often Mm -hmm. horrifying. But sometimes, Mm -hmm. like, really cute. You know, sometimes super funny. But there was a really funny TikTok today. And I'll um, I'll make sure I drop the link in the notes. Kind of taking a look at, like, influencers and their family costumes and how the majority of these influencers dress up as the like, you know, shining star of the group. The right. like Tinkerbells and the Ariels and like, right. you know, all of the like really beautiful ones. Mm-hmm. And then their husbands and kids end up just being props. Like, right, right, right. Right. There's a really good one that this family did a Peter Pan family costume. And the kid is actually Big Ben. The kid is Big Ben and the mom is Peter and, like, the dad is Hook. And you just see this, like, six-year-old walking around in a cardboard box. And you're like, really? Was that that kid's idea? I don't think so. Yeah, Mom, I really want to be the clock from Peter Pan. (laughs) Oh, my God. I, you know, I mean, obviously I don't have kids of my own just yet, but I cannot for the life of me imagine that I'm going to dress up as Belle 
and I'm going to make my kid dress up as like Chip. I know. I know. Um, I have never, I, I very rarely even have gone in like couples like costumes, like, mm. a, like couple outfits. Um, I haven't even really done that. So yeah, I don't, um, I don't particularly like, it's a thing for me. So like, even with my daughter, you know, we kind of like let her pick and then we just like kind of figure out what we're gonna do um very last minute you know and we just it's whatever um so it's not really about like oh we're gonna go as whatever famous trio you know so yeah I don't get it I don't get it yeah I just I just keep imagining that poor little kid walking around with his arms like straight out of his sides in his little cardboard tower oh god (laughs) poor child uh, what about you? Is there anything you can't get out of your head this week? Well, no, not really. I mean, sort of. It is the 2nd of November and NaNoWriMo, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the National Novel Writing Month um, yes. where people sign up um, to commit to writing a novel in 30 days um, of 50,000 words. <laughs> I've never succeeded in doing it um, but that doesn't mean I haven't tried but I just wanted to give a shout out to all of our listeners who are attempting it and good job and we applaud you and we can't wait to see what you all come up with yeah and we are literally right there with you both Jenny and I are participating this year we have lofty ideas <laughs> For our drafts that we're true. <laughs> very excited to work on and we are keeping each other accountable um so if you guys need any accountability buddies we are here rooting you on yeah well listeners it seems that our time has come to a close so where can they where can they find us all right guys if you are interested in finding us on the world wide web which is the lamest thing i've ever said in my entire life Please check us out at hotelvicarious.com. You can email us at hotelvicarious at gmail.com. And you can reach out to us on social, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, account name, Hotel Vicarious. That seems like we're at the end of our deep dive, uh, part one for Midnight Mass. So thanks for checking in to Hotel Vicarious, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. 